Well, good morning, good morning, Pillar Church. My name is Kanan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church, and as always, it's a joy and an honor to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. Uh, the point of, of all that we do here at Pillar Church is to lead people closer to Jesus and closer to each other. And so, by God's grace, this morning, through the book of Malachi, open there now, open in your Bibles to the book of Malachi, by God's grace, this text will lead you closer to Jesus and inevitably closer to each other. So as you open to Malachi, um, let's ready our hearts, get our minds right, and, get, and pray and ask God's blessing uh, on this message that he will prepare your soul to receive whatever it is in this message that is for you. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are thankful, thankful that you have provided a medium for believers to worship across the world, across this city. Members from Pillar Church, attenders from all over the place get to partake in spiritual nourishment for their soul because of technology like this. And so, Lord, we praise you, though we are not seeing each other in person and gathering in that way. Uh, we're able to unify in spirit together in this time, at this place to worship you, O King. Father, would you give us a sense of joy and reverence for your word this morning? Would you prepare our hearts, settle them down? Would you remove critical, overcritical, um, or an overcritical heart from among us? Not a, not a critical mind, but an overcritical heart. Would you remove that from us this morning? Would you let our guards down so that you would, in your word, would penetrate our soul, that we would be willing to be different and to be changed because of your word to us? Lord, would you give us a mind of application that even if I don't have the time to apply a passage directly to us, that you, Holy Spirit, would uh, apply that passage to the heart and to the mind of the person who needs to receive and hear that word. And Father, I pray that you would decrease me and that Jesus would be increased, that our mind would be fixed on him by the conclusion of this message, by the end of our time, that you would get all the glory for this sermon, for these people, and for the work that Pillar Church does in the community and abroad. And I thank you for our, our in-person family when we gather in our digital family, those who have even never even attended a service. I thank you for them, and I pray that you would hit both of them the same way. Would you do this work in us and through us? In Christ's name, we thank you and pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Again, my name is Kanan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. And as always, it's a joy and an honor to open up God's word. Uh, we're going to continue our series in the book of Malachi called True Worship. So if you haven't already, please go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Malachi even now as we get ready to dive into his 
word. Let me give you a little recap from last week. Last week, we encountered a frustrated people. We encountered a, genera a generationally broken people, an identity-impaired people, and a spiritually aloof people. And that was in the text speaking about Israel. It's funny how that reminds us of America, doesn't it? The people of Israel had just returned from a 70-year captivity in Babylon when they're they're returning back to their homeland, where they were uh, focused on, well, where they were adopting uh, foreign cultures foreign in the foreign land, and foreign gods were being shoved down their throat. They were sent into captivity in the first place because of their idolatry. Uh, they were already having issues with idolatry prior to them being sent into Babylon as a punishment. You'll find that in Isaiah chapter 1. And now they're back home, but they're acting like bratty children when you ask them to do something. When they're in the midst of maybe watching TV, playing on their iPad maybe, you know, playing a video game and you want to ask them to do something productive and then they get real bratty on you. Y'all know what I'm talking about, y'all parents, right? And then they do it kind of halfway kind of half-hearted, they kind of slouch their way into doing stuff. Well, it's a similar thing to what we're seeing in the people of Israel right here and right now. Yet in the midst of all their action, in the midst of all their idolatry, in the midst of all their sin, God still loves them. And he loves them wholly and fully. The sad part is that the Israelites, the circumstances around uh, their, the circumstances around them have blinded them from the reality of seeing God's hand and love in and through them and on them. Their circumstances has clouded their vision. And so God comes to these, these Israelites through the prophet Malachi, and he says in Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, this is from last week, he says, I have loved you. God tells them, I love you, okay? I love you people. And naturally, they ask, well, how have you loved us? In other words, how can you claim to love us after all that you've allowed us to go through? Right? They allowed their circumstances to be bigger than what God's word said about them or what God said about them. And then God doesn't leave that accusation unanswered. He reminds them of Jacob and Esau and how he loved Jacob and he hated Esau. And he forces them to recall all the wonderful things that God has done in and through that people, despite their constant idolatry, their constant falling short, their constant rejecting and ignoring the Lord. You see, God has destroyed other nations for doing similar things. However, he never destroys Israel. He always finds a way to bring them back home. He always sends his messenger to go get them back from the, the muck and the mire that they find themselves in. They reject God with, a, with a, uh, just a disgusting act of idolatry. And God doesn't cast them away and destroy them. He says, no, I'm going to send my man with my, with my word in his mouth. And he's going to go and get them back. And he goes and he does and he always brings them back. And so God kind of flips the tables on them and he says, don't question me about how can I love you through after all that, that I put you through. The question is, how can you question my love for you after all you put me through? He's like, I always defend you. I've always kept you healthy and, and, and cared for. I've always loved you. He's trying to remind them and show them that his mercy is part and parcel with his love. I haven't destroyed you, Israel. I haven't treated you like these other nations who, 
who spit on my name, though you do this, though, though you do the very same thing. Last week we saw that God's mercy to Israel was a blueprint for God's mercy to us. Because it's God's mercy that also leads us to repentance. Romans 2.4. And if you haven't already opened up the cross-reference sheet, we're going to lean heavily on the cross-reference sheet this week. This morning, it should be in the description or in the comments. This morning we will see the people of Israel yet again falling victim to their sin. And God is going to call them out for giving them less than what he deserves, which is true worship. It was uh, 1997. I won't tell you how old I was, but I was school age, 1997. And uh, two of my friends, me and two other friends, were going to go to one of our, our friend's houses so that we could play some video games after school. And so we go to his house, we go to my friend's house, and the minute we walk in the door, his mother starts nagging him about why he didn't take out the trash before he left for school. And she's getting at him, you know, she's chastising him, getting him, dun, 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 dun. And then finally he says, he says these words, are right, you ready? And I remember this like it was yesterday. He says, all right, ma, shh. And not shh, like quiet, shh, like S-H, the S-H word. Right? So he says, all right, ma, shh. And then he says, get off my... Y'all know, use your imagination. And I'm sitting here like, I know some of y'all are like, what? And I'm like, e so me and my friend are looking at each other and we're like, did this dude just say what I think he just said to mom dukes? Wildin. We were like, bro, we looked at each other and was like, bro, he's going to die. Like, he's going to die. You don't say those words to your mother. You don't say them words to anybody, but you don't say them words to your mother. And we even told him, we were like, bro, you know you're going to die, right? Like, I hope you understand. This is the last day of your existence. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. And we ain't going to see you tomorrow at school because of what you did. And he was like, what? Man, nah, I talk to my mom like this all the time. And we just like, what? You talk to your mom like this all the time. Now, I don't know if he didn't. So there's, there's two thoughts I have from that, right? I don't know if he truly didn't understand the depth of disrespect that that was to his mother. Or he understood the depth of disrespect that was to his mother and he didn't care. Now, either way, I'm like, dog, it doesn't matter. There's clearly something broken in that relationship because he had put no respect on his mama's name. Now, I don't know about y'all. I don't know how you grew up. And I don't know if you grew up being able to use those kind of words in your home. But in my house, <laughs> in my house, if I was to use any kind of language like that, period, not to mention addressed to my mother, mama wasn't having that. Mama wasn't playing that. It doesn't matter what was going on. It doesn't matter if she was nagging me, if she was wrongly accusing me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I had to put some respect on my mama's name. And we're going to see a similar thing in this morning's passage. Israel's going to be told point blank from God, you better put some respect on my name. Because he is a great king. And I hope and pray that God would lead you to put some respect 
on his name through this passage. Let's look at this passage this morning. Malachi chapter 1, starting at verse 6. And as I said last week, the verse divisions are really funky in the book of Malachi. And so we might not go through a whole verse. We're going thought for thought, okay? Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. But if I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is your fear of me? Says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name. Stop there. God is a father to Israel. But more than that, he's an Adon, which means in Hebrew, it means he's a Lord. He's their master. In effect, he's their God. And as their father, their Lord, and their master, he desires the respect he deserves. But he hasn't been getting it. At first, when the Israelites first returned home, they were fresh off of God's blessing. They, had, they were on their P's and Q's, right? You know, daddy let them come home, and so now they're on their best behavior. But a can of Akrite only lasts for so long. And it wouldn't be long before these Israelites uh, would start to act in a way that their heart and their nature demanded. The text says that they despised God's name. What does that word despise mean? To despise is to detest, to hate, to reject. In other words, it's to put disrespect on something or someone. It's the very opposite of honoring somebody, to despise. Having your name despised is a horrible thing. Having your name despised is like when your child tells you that they hate you. Parents, if you've ever experienced that, you know exactly what that feels like. It's a unique pain. Having your name despised is like overhearing somebody blaming you for something that you didn't do putting falsehood on your name. You've experienced that. Having your name despised is like that look of disgust and that disrespectful tone that people use when they address you. We know certain people, when they talk to us, it's like we're beneath them. It's like they're despising our name. Y'all know what it feels like, and God knows what it feels like too, because it says that he was a father to Israel, but they didn't honor him as such. And so God calls him out. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. He says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. But if I am a father, if this is true, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me, says the Lord of armies, to you priests who despise my name. Continue on. Keep going. It says this. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? God answers that, that, that question from them. How have we despised your name? Verse 7. He says, by presenting defiled food on my altar. That's how you despise my name. Keep going. It says, but how have we defiled you, you ask? When you say, his answer, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible. Stop there. Now, like the friend I spoke about in the beginning of this message, I can't really tell you whether these people's, their disposition was combative or if it was aloof. 
Okay, I, I, it's hard to tell the difference if they're combative at this point or if they're aloof at this point. Meaning this, I'm gonna explain this. Meaning I can't tell if they're being aggressive by being sarcastic, right? Some of us know people who are aggressive when they start getting sarcastic, right? They're, they're, and that's how most people interpret this passage, that they're being sarcastic, therefore being aggressive toward God. They have a disposition of distaste to him, right? Or if they're asking in an ignorant manner, not ignorant like they don't know what they're doing is wrong, but like my friend possibly, ignorant and not understanding the level of depth of disrespect that they are putting on God's name by offering defiled food and putting it upon the altar. I can't call it either way, but the disrespect was real. They had the audacity to put defiled food on God's altar. Now, when God instituted the sacrificial system, he set down ground rules on how to best honor him and how to do this thing. Look in your cross-reference sheet, Leviticus chapter 22. We're going to read this big section. And, and I want you, I'm going to read this big section from verse 17 to 33 because I want it to be so clear to you as to what God told them to do. It's so clear. It's so clear. It's so clear. Leviticus 22, verse 17 to 33. Again, it's in your cross-reference sheet. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 18, speak to Aaron and his sons and all the Israelites and tell them, any man of the house of Israel or, of the, or the resident aliens in Israel who is presenting an offering, verse 19, must offer an unblemished male from the cattle, sheep, or goats in order to be accepted. We're not done. Verse 20. You are not to present anything that has a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. When I done verse 21, when a man presents a fellowship sacrifice to the Lord to fulfill a vow, uh, to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or the flock, it has to be unblemished to be acceptable. There must be no defect in it. Verse 22. You are not to present any animal to the Lord that is blind, injured, maimed, has a running sore, or festers, festering rashes, scabs. You may not put any of them on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. Look at verse 24 now of Leviticus 22. You are not to present to the Lord anything that has bruised, crushed, torn, or severed testicles. You must not sacrifice them to the Lord. Neither you nor a foreigner are to present food, uh, food <clears throat> to your God from any of these animals. They will not be accepted for you because they are deformed and have a defect. Look at verse 31, 32, and 33. It says, you are to keep my commands to do and do them. I am the Lord. You must not profane my holy name. It must be treated as holy among the Israelites. I am the Lord who set you apart. The one who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. What is God getting across to these people? He's saying, don't you dare put disrespect on my name by offering a beat up animal on my altar and think that I'm going to be okay with it. Why not? What's his basis? I am God. 
and you better put some respect on my name. I am the Lord who redeemed you out of Egypt. And if you remember, several months ago, we went through freedom from oppression and we looked at how God redeemed the people of Israel from Egyptian captivity, both spiritual and physical in bondagement. And God went through all these miraculous, um, did all these miraculous miracles to free the people from Pharaoh's grasp and from the grasp of these Egyptian gods. And he, and he, he cared for them and he fed them and he brought them out and he dismantled Pharaoh's army. Don't you forget that, Israel. I am God. Put some respect on my name. Now, I want you to notice a couple things from that passage. Did you notice that God gave the command to Aaron, of whom the Aaronic priesthood would be established? And the Aaronic priesthood is the paradigm for the priesthood during the time of Malachi. And so this is applying through generations to the priests who offer sacrifices to God for the people. And if you noticed, and I don't know if you caught it, in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, he directs this statement specifically to the priests of Israel. He says, to you priests who despise my name. See, but the action of the priests reflect the hearts of the people. You see, the people would bring jacked up, sacrifices to the priests to be an offering to God. And the priest's responsibility is to reject a defiled offering so that it wouldn't be presented to God. But rather, instead of rejecting the defiled offering, the priest would accept the defiled offering and actually offer it up on behalf of the person unto God. In fact, it's not unlikely that the priests themselves would oftentimes sell to foreigners and travelers jacked up animals for sacrifices. That's why God says he's speaking to you, priests. But in this passage, everybody's jacked up. The priests are jacked up. The people are jacked up. Everybody's messed up in this passage. Now, if we don't understand how jacked up this is to offer a defiled offering on, on the altar of God, God's smooth like that. He's about to give us his own sermon illustration. Look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 8. Here's his own illustration as to why that's messed up. Malachi chapter 1, verse 8. It says, when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or a sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor, asked the Lord of armies? What's he saying? You would be wholly embarrassed to have such a, a high-ranking official come to your house and you offer him garbage on a plate. You see, when people whom we care about come over to our house to enjoy a meal, we don't give them the trash from the back of the fridge. We make the thing that we know we make well. We cook the thing that we know that, man, we can, we can slay this thing. You know, in my house, my wife, if you ain't come through and got that meatloaf, bruh, Ooh, right? That, we'll make the meatloaf when somebody come through. Why? Because we know that that's going to be an acceptable food for any guest that comes in that enjoys meat. Sorry for you vegans. Hope I didn't mess up your stomach. The sight of this defiled offering on God's altar is enough to make him vomit. Now, like the sin of Adam and Eve, we're quick to point the finger at them 
and say, shame, shame, tisk, tisk. But how often is it that you give God defiled offerings on the altar? How often is it that your worship of God is less than your level best? How often is it that you give God less than what he deserves? Let's not pretend that you don't know better. Okay? It's either, it's either that you engage in careless worship out of subconscious unbelief, subconscious dissatisfaction in God, or subconscious anger, or it's that you don't realize the depth of disrespect that your careless worship incites, or you do realize it and you don't really give a rip. I can't call it, but I want to tell you this. The disrespect is real, and I'm willing to call you a bluff on it. And how can I be so confident to call you a bluff? Because I know my own sin. And I know what I'm prone to. I'm prone to disrespect God's name. You treat God with contempt every day. Careless in your worship and forgetful in your disposition. You sing to God half-heartedly. You pray to God half-heartedly. You read his word not to grow closer to him, but to be ready for an argument you might have later. Who I'm talking to. You don't tell others about the goodness of God because you kind of sort of don't really believe it yourself. You don't even trust God with your most prized possessions. For most people, your most prized possessions is your family and your money. But that in and of itself should convict us because God is sick and tired of not being our most prized possession. Why is our bank account more prized, more valued, more cared for, more, more watched over, more handled with delicacy than our relationship with King Jesus? Why is our family lifted up in such a way where we care for them with more delicacy than we do our relationship with the Lord of heaven and earth who saved our soul from eternal damnation in the person of Christ Jesus? Oh, my friends. The rebuke is for all of us. He's not accepting that trash from us. He wants true worship. Look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 10. Look what God says about this. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle useless fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will not accept that offering from your hands. It reminds me of Amos chapter 5. It's in your cross-reference sheet. Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through 27. Listen to what the Lord said to the people of Israel before, before they went into exile, into Babylon. Remember, they were doing it before and they came back and their hearts are sinful and they did it when they got back too. He says, I hate, no, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Whew. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings 
of fattened cattle. Now let's stop right there for a second. Remember who instituted these things, the solemn assemblies, the sacrifices. God instituted them, right? But they are an outward expression of an inward reality. And when the inward reality is corrupted, the outward expression becomes meaningless. Look at verse 23. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. We'll stop there for a second. Injustice and sin had permeated the camp of Israel. They were living in sin on inwardly. They were, ravaged, they were ravaged by sin, unrepented sin, somehow okay with sin, careless worship sin. But they would perform all the external duties. Oh, we're in the Bible Belt. I already know. All right. They would perform all the external check marks. Oh, went to church, read my Bible today, I'm good. Not for intimacy with King Jesus. That's not why they did any of this. No, they did it to do the check mark. We doing what we're supposed to do. The inward was wrong, the outward was meaningless. Still in Amos, look at verse 25. Chapter 5, verse 25. Amos, it's in your cross-reference sheet. It says, House of Israel. Was it sacrifices and grain offerings that you presented to me during the 40 years in the wilderness? But you've taken up Sakuth, your king, and Kaiwan as your star god, images you've made for yourselves? <laughs> so I will send you into exile beyond Damascus. The Lord, the God of armies, is his name. He has spoken. What were they doing? After all that God has done, they still found a way to worship somebody other than God. And if you remember last week, I spoke about the reality that we end up worshiping things other than God and placing things on par or over his name all the time. And sometimes we don't even recognize that we're doing it, which calls for constant recalibration of our lives, constant examination of what we're doing, why we're doing it, and asking God to fix and change and mold us into the image of his son. Pillar Church, hear me on this. God is not interested in perfect worship. He's not asking you for perfect worship. He's asking you for true worship. He's asking you for genuine worship. He's asking you for non-careless worship. He's asking you for level best worship. He's asking you for give him what you got worship. He's asking you for Mark 12 worship. You're like, what's Mark 12 worship? Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. The woman who gave two cents. Look in your cross-reference sheet. Jesus was sitting across from the temple treasury. He watched how the crowd dropped in money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting large sums of money in the treasury. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Verse 43. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. Why? They gave out of their surplus, but she gave out of her poverty. And is putting everything she had and all she had to live on. God doesn't want all your money. He wants all your heart. Is God worth being sacrificed, worth sacrificing for in your estimation? 
God doesn't want all your money. He wants all your heart. But there's little loyalty left over for him. We've given the world the main course of our hearts, and all that's left over is the crumbs. You know what them leftovers are. It's a little bit of time between Netflix and takeout. Because we've given ourselves to everything else. But I got this little bit of five minutes right here. Let me go ahead and just say a word real quick, throw it up. Let me read this little, this little three or four verses real quick. Get, get, get my God in today. Who I'm talking to? I know I'm talking to me. I think I'm talking to some of y'all too. Our text in Malachi, the people and the priests were give, weren't giving God their level best. They were giving God the animals that they couldn't sell because those animals were jacked up. Ain't nobody going to buy a jacked up lame animal. And so they would take those animals, and of course they can't go to waste. They would offer them to God because no one's going to buy an animal that's lame. I mean, you check the groceries before you put them in your car, don't you? Hear me on this. Listen to this. God's status with you is a reflection. I'm sorry. Let me re-say that. God's status with you is reflected in the quality of your honor toward him. That's what I wanted to say. God's status with you is reflected in the quality of honor toward him. God's done with your lip service. He's done. He doesn't want it. I don't know who's bubble I'm busting, but somebody's bubble is popping. He's done with the lip service. The jig is up. Now you've heard God speak to you about this. All I'm doing is quoting the text. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Let a person examine himself. And that's my call to you. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Does the shoe fit? Isaiah 29, 13 says this. These people approach me with their speeches, with their speeches to honor me with their lip service. Yet their hearts are far from me. What's the quality of your worship like? Be honest. Please just be honest with yourself for a second. What's the quality of your worship to God? Do you love him more than X, Y, Z hobby that you do? Do you love him more than X, Y, Z job that you do? Do you love him more than X, Y, Z cultural reality that you fight for? Do you love him more than X, Y, Z political position that you hold? Do you love him more? Are you willing to forsake everything for his name's sake? To engage in cheap worship is trash to God. Worship should offer you something. We see a principle of this in 2 Samuel 24, 18 through 25, where David purchases a lot of land for offerings and sacrifices, and he will not take it for free because he will not offer to God something that didn't cost him anything. Are you willing to offer to God something that costs you nothing? And the bigger question is, is he going to accept that from your hands? See, you can think he does. You can want him to. It doesn't have to be perfect. You gotta be true. You gotta be genuine. It gotta be level best. If all you got is a three-legged lamb, if that's all you got to offer to God, then you offer it. But when you have an unblemished lamb in the flock over there and you only offer him the three-legged one, God's not blind. Like that animal. 
Let's try not to have a disposition like the Israelites have. Look at Malachi chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Malachi chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. It says, a little bit into the verse, it says, The Lord's table is defiled, and its product, its food, this is Israel's words, are contemptible. Look at verse 13. You also say, Ah, look, what a nuisance. And you scorn it. Oh, man, offering to God is hard. It's funny. People, people always say, you know, I, I don't have time. You make time for everything you deem is valuable. You make time for everything you deem is valuable. When somebody tries to pull you out of your comfort zone, of what your worship to King to God, to King Jesus looks like, you say in your heart what Israel says here. Verse 13, look, what a nuisance. This is hard. Oh, man, this is work. This is trouble. I don't know because ah, an excuse, the excuse bucket fills up, right? And you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept this from your hands, asked the Lord? What's God saying? He's saying he hates hollow worship. You find a, a good long stretch of God speaking about this in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. It's in your cross-reference sheet. We're not going to read it, but look it up. Hollow worship can be expressed in formal gatherings, such as church services. And, and, and hollow worship can be expressed in inter, uh, interrelational gatherings, when you want to look and seem more spiritual than what you actually are. You're putting on that facade, that front. You're hollow on the inside, but you want people to think you're holy on the outside. So you come out of nowhere with this spirituality that's not genuine or real. For some people, it's really real. But for others, it's really not. Don't throw stones. Examine yourself. Don't start thinking about who that could fit, or who, or what church you know that's like that. Nah, you. You. Are you like that? Am I like that? God has a curse for these people. That's what, he's, that's what he said. Malachi chapter 1, verse 14. Look what he said for those who don't give their level best. He says this. The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. Stop there. See, it's not a matter of giving a perfect sacrifice. He says, if you have a perfect one and you give a blemished one, he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for true worship. He's looking for genuine worship. It's a matter of disrespect to God by not giving him true worship. And if that's not enough, after we don't give God our level best, we have the nerve to ask him for stuff. <laughs> I didn't say it. Malachi chapter 1 verse 9 does. Malachi chapter 1 verse 9. Now I'm going to quote the NASB because I think they said it more clear than any other translation that I've read from the NASB. But it's Malachi chapter 1 verse 9. It says, and he's speaking rhetorically as if God is speaking as them. He says, but now, 
do indeed plead for God's favor, for that he will be gracious to us with such an offering on your part. Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of armies? What's he saying? He's saying, yeah, y'all come on and ask me for a whole bunch of stuff. You, you tell me what, what you think I'm going to do. <laughs> you give me this trash. I ain't blind. I see what y'all are doing. It's like when somebody who does you dirty, they think they're doing it behind your back, but you done found out. And then they come to you on some, hey, man, <laughs> how you doing, man? Hey, I need a favor from you. What do you feel when that happens to you, right? But you're not a great king. And you feel disrespected. But God is a great king. How dare we disrespect him in such a way? God is not a simple beggar hoping that we might pay him a little bit of attention. Look what he says in Malachi chapter 1 verse 11. He says, my name will be great among the nations. He's, he's prophesying, okay? My name, no matter what y'all do, my name will be great among the nations. I will argue it already was great among the nations, but he's still speaking in such a way. It will, be, it will maintain its greatness among the nations. From the rising of the sun to its setting, incense, remember this part, just keep it in the back of your head, ready? Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. And indeed, the prophecy has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus who gave his life as a sacrifice for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And there's not a person or a people group that will not sing praises to God's name because he, because he has some from every one of them. All these nations will sing my praise. I am a great king and we will worship King Jesus. Revelation 19, 16 says that inscribed on Jesus's chest and on his thigh, it says he is the king of kings, that he is the Lord of lords. 1 Peter 2, 22 and, 1, and John chapter 1, verse 29 says that Jesus is the unblemished male lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And so we praise God because we have given defiled sacrifices upon the altar, but through repentance and faith in Jesus, God substituted our defiled offerings and put upon the altar the most pure offering that has ever existed in human history. It is his son Jesus Christ who gives himself and his offering will be accepted and the only way that ours is accepted is if we are in him remember I said to remember that part about incense and pure offerings look in your cross reference sheet real quick at Revelation chapter 5 as we read verse 6 through verse 10 This passage is chock full of goodness. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 through 10. It's also on your cross reference sheet. It's chock full of good stuff. Look what it says, verse, starting at verse 6. John says, I saw between the throne and the elders. Stop there already. There's a mediator between the, the person on the throne of God, who's God, and the people, right? There's a mediator already. I saw between the throne and the elders, what did he see standing there? A lamb. Standing as if he was what? Slaughtered. 
having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And if you do a little research, it's commonly believed that the number seven is the number of perfection attributed to Christ Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Verse seven, what did he do? Well, he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Stop there. Only one who is ceremonially clean can approach God. We know that from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, right? Look at verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before who? The lamb. They're worshiping. Who are they worshiping? The lamb. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Let's keep going. Each one holding, what are they holding? A harp, right? For music, acceptable music. Golden bowls of what? Incense. God prophesied that they will put incense. Which are the prayers of the saints. Just like he promised. Malachi chapter 1 verse 11. And what did they do? They, verse 9. They sang a new song. And what's this new song that's worthy of, of, uh, of being accepted? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals. For you were slaughtered. And you purchased a people for God with your blood. From every tribe, every language, every uh, people and nation. Verse 10. You have made them into a kingdom of priests. Not ones who despise God's name, but priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Pillar Church, hear me on this. And those who are listening from abroad, hear me on this. The only acceptable sacrifice, it starts with the person of Christ. And if we are in him, and we are what scripture calls the repenting ones, right? The ones who constantly turn from worshiping other things, turning back to worshiping the rightful um, uh, recipient of our worship, which is King Jesus. Our offering is now worthy of being accepted. Not the outward expression, but the inward reality. All who place their faith in him are saved from God's wrath. We can trust him. All who place their faith in him are made into a kingdom of priests, one who honor God's name. We can trust him. All who put their faith in him have clean hands and a pure heart. We can now approach the throne of God. And he rose from the dead that he might apply his perfect sacrifice to those who trust in him. Y'all hear me? All who strive to worship the Lord have to do so with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and all their strength. All directed toward King Jesus. And when we fail, we repent and go back under the umbrella of his grace, remembering his mercy. God doesn't want perfect worship from you. He wants true worship. What has your worship, what has your worship to God look like? It's time to do business with God. Father, thank you so much for your grace, your love, your kindness. Thank you for forgiving us when we fall short. Lord, I fall short all the time with false worship. 
And so don't these people. We fall short, we fall short, we fall short, we fall short. We give you half worship. We sing with half our heart because we're too worried about everybody else. We pray with, with a quarter of, of our passion because we kind of don't really believe that you're going to do what you, you know, that you're really listening. Whatever it is, Lord, we plead the blood. We plead the blood of the acceptable sacrifice, King Jesus. We ask for forgiveness of our sin. We repent, which means we turn from our sin towards you. Lord, we don't want to give you outward expressions and be hollow on the inside. May we be genuine through and through. When we are feeling distant from you, would we not pretend to be close? And when we are close to you, would, would it be obvious and evident to those around us? And may their passion and their proximity to Jesus rub off on us and draw us closer to you too. Lord, if your word says that you will not accept hollow worship, and I confess my hollow worship to you, and I pray that because I'm found in you, that you would accept my, my repentance, and that you would turn my heart to you. Lord, we need to give you true worship. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before you click off, before you go away, I want to uh, thank you for being a part of the worship here at Pillar Church. Um, if you desire to learn more about the church, you can find us online at pillar.church. If you, dis if you uh, are compelled to give to the work of Pillar Church, you can find the link for giving at pillar.church on the website. If you are a believer looking to get into closer community with other believers, imperfect community, but worshipful community with other believers, then you can join a discipleship group by going to pillar.church and clicking on ministries, discipleship groups. Boom, and you'll see a list of them. Please inquire about those. Uh, there are leaders who love you, want to serve you, and they will always point you to Jesus and not allow you to be dependent upon them. And lastly, if you simply want to pray and God has built you that way, or maybe you need prayer, or maybe you desire to be a praying man or a praying woman, then on Wednesday mornings at nine o'clock, uh, Pastor Eric leads us in prayer. All who join, we do it on Google Meet, all who join will join us in prayer. So go ahead and join us there at nine o'clock. And if you're looking for any of this information, uh, you can either find it at pillar.church or if you scroll down to the bottom and hit subscribe and you enter your phone number and your email, you will receive text alerts and email alerts to these things that we are, are, are doing. Uh, we pray God's best for you and we pray that you are now closer to Jesus and each other as a result. Amen.